Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. just want you to be ready. Um, what a peculiar people Christians are. We just hang all about blood, happily clapping. I mean, you know, back in the first century, they accused Christians of being cannibals because they celebrated communion. Reminds me of all the specials that you see on TV where they're about the Bible and they don't have anybody that's a true believer, but they have all these experts, and they're trying to put these pieces together with their unregenerate minds that just can't grasp what it's all about. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about the Lord's Table, another term that we use for communion, or the Lord's Supper. And we usually talk about the two elements of communion, but today I'm going to talk about the four elements of communion. You ever heard of the four elements of communion? Well, we have a lot of different backgrounds, so I thought I'd talk about the four elements of communion. Now, granted, I'm using element in a different way than you're thinking, but I did get your attention, so I want you to listen up. The text that we're going to be looking at today is found in 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 34. It's typically where we go to on Communion Sunday. We celebrate Communion Sunday at Beacon of Hope, um, the last Sunday of the month, typically. A lot of churches celebrate it on the first Sunday of the month. We started on the last day of the month, the last Sunday of the month, because when we first were a church plant, we didn't have enough money to buy the containers for the um, bread, and we didn't have the little COVID cups then. The bread and the, and the uh, juice... And so we borrowed them from a church that was helping us get our starting. But they were using them on the first Sunday, so we did it on the last Sunday. Isn't that traditional? I mean, we've never broke the habit. We could afford them now, but we've got COVID cups. But that's how we started the last Sunday. And, you know, there's nothing really in the scriptures that tell us that we have to do it every Sunday or that we have to do it only once a month, Some. Some communities do it once a year. Um, So there's nothing really clearly laid out in the scripture for how often we do it, but there is something about what it is and what it's about, and I think that that's what we need to study. Before we go to the text, I just want to clear something up that could be in our minds. I, I know that we draw people from many different backgrounds and so forth, so I want to establish this that communion is one of the two ordinances, one of the two ordinances that Jesus Christ left the church to practice until his return. You'll see that the title is, What is the Ordinance of Communion? Or the Lord's Table, or the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ left the church to practice this ordinance until his return. And there is baptism which is something that every true believer does as a public testimony of their faith at conversion or shortly thereafter. And that can be likened to an entry, if you will. It's a first step that a believer does to just kind of drive their stake in the ground and say, I'm a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that is a public thing that takes place and it is with purpose But I want you to understand that it's a testimony of what has already taken place 
invisibly in the heart of the person. They're testifying or they're pronouncing what they've already done. They've believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, and so they're baptized uh, to show that outwardly of something that took place inwardly. But then there's communion, which is which Christ left us, and that can be almost likened if 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 baptism is like the first step, then communion is kind of like the maintenance of the Christian life, and it can be used like that by you. Uh, we're doing this on a monthly basis. I would pray that you confess your sins on a daily basis, agreeing with God that you're sinful, but thanking Jesus Christ that He died for those sins. But if not. You can definitely use Communion Sunday to examine yourself, to, to take yourself in stock and say, Lord, I blew it. This has been a bad month. Help me, Father, to move forward. So it's kind of a maintenance of that new relationship that you have with Christ that you maybe uh, were introduced to through baptism when you baptized we're baptized, you're confessing that you believed in Jesus, and now on a monthly basis you're maintaining that. If you haven't been baptized by immersion, because that's what the word means, baptizo, <laughs> it means to submerge under something. It was used of a of cloth, a piece of cloth, muslin, that was dipped into a vat of dye. And they didn't believe in Thai dye back then, so the whole cloth was transformed in color when they dipped it into or baptized it into that vat of dye. That's what the word baptize means. So if you've been sprinkled, that's all fine and good, but it's not really biblical because you need to be baptized by immersion. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Baptist. I'm saying that because that's what God's word says and that's what the word means. So baptism is that ordinance which Christ left us, that we kind of do uh, on the first days or the first months of our conversion to show that we're in with Christ, we're in Christ. And secondly then, there's that communion, which is the ongoing. Now, ordinance is different from a sacrament. This is important. A sacrament is a rite that's done in order to obtain grace from God to get something from God, or some kind of to gain merit with God. An ordinance, on the other hand, is the act of doing something that Christ commanded his followers to do. The Eastern Orthodox Church and and Catholicism, they teach that there are sacraments. Okay, you've heard them. Um, They believe that there are seven sacraments, actually. Baptism, confirmation, Holy Communion, Confession, Marriage, Holy Orders, and the Anointing of the Sick at their death, the last rites, it's called. According to the Catholic Church, these sacraments, okay, listen to this, are efficacious. That means they have effect, they have grip as signs of grace instituted by Christ and entrusted to the church, by which divine life is dispensed to us. So we get divine life through following those sacrifices or those sacraments according to uh, Eastern Orthodox Church and the Catholic Church. 
The visible rites by which the sacraments are celebrate, celebrated signify, this is from the Catholic, um, the Catholic Catechism, okay? The sacraments are celebrated to signify and they make present the grace proper to each sacrament so that the church affirms that for believers, the sacraments of the new covenant, get this, are necessary for salvation. Okay, that's very, very important. An ordinance is not a sacrament. Okay, you got to keep that distinction in mind. This teaching reveals a works-based system of salvation, and it's based on a sacerdotal approach to worship. Sacerdotal, that's a theological word. Sacerdotalism is a system where a priest acts as the mediator between God and people, and therefore they perform certain things in their office on behalf of people and for the, their benefit before God. They are the mediator between people and, and God. And so you have um, a mediator that does the rite of baptism on the behalf of the person being baptized. You have the mediator doing confirmation on behalf of the person before God. Holy communion, confession, marriage, holy orders, and the anointing of the sick, the last rites, are done by a mediator for the person in order for the person to receive merit based on that sacrament that they're following. Okay? Now, the Bible says there is one God and one mediator also between God and men. And that one mediator is named as Christ Jesus. So we can see that that teaching is off, at least biblically. 1 Timothy 2.5. So an ordinance is simply a symbolic reenactment of the gospel message. Rather than being a requirement for salvation, ordinances are like visual aids to help us better understand and appreciate what Jesus Christ accomplished for us in his redemptive work. And they are testimonies, proclamations, if you will, that we indeed do believe in Jesus Christ. Ordinances are determined by three factors. Number one, they were instituted by Christ. There are two of them. Baptism and communion. And they were taught by the apostles. That's obvious. We're going to 1 Corinthians, which was written by an apostle, the apostle Paul. And they were practiced by the early church. And if you look into church history, you will see that they practiced baptism and communion. So baptism and communion are the two rites that most evangelicals, Protestants, Consider ordinances, and neither of them, this is important, is a requirement for salvation. Okay? Neither of them is a requirement for salvation. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'll start in verse 17, and we'll read to verse 34. But in giving this instruction, Paul said, I don't praise you because you come together... For the better, not for the better, but for the worse. Wow, those are strong words. He starts right off with a correction here of the Corinthian church. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that divisions exist among you in part, I believe it. 
For there must also be factions among you so that those who are approved may become evident among you. There's right and there's wrong. Our, our, our culture does not believe that any longer. It's a million shades of gray, right? There is no uh, absolute truth. We are postmodern in our thinking. And postmodernism does not believe that there is an absolute truth. It's your truth, my truth. We need to love one another and give everybody hugs. Um, there is no right. There is no wrong. Obviously, the Apostle Paul did not believe that. He said, there's got to be factions among you. There has to be some that are right and some that are wrong, because in that way you're approved, so that you may become evident among you, and you know who's on what side. I'm sorry, there are sides. <laughs> and, and you need to know which one you're on. We're going to talk about that this morning a little bit, too. Therefore, when you meet together, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first. And one is hungry and another is drunk. What a church. Haven't had that happen here yet. Okay? I said yet. Who knows? So he goes on in verse 22. What? Do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. Verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup and also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, there it is again. There's a dichotomy here. There, there's there's antithesis antithesis, there's a way to eat it in a worthy way and a way to eat it in an unworthy way. Uh, blot this out of our culture. They don't believe in that. We do. So whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's pretty strong. Verse 28, but a man must examine himself examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink of the cup. Now, I want you to just keep your finger here and turn over to 2 Corinthians 13.5, written by the Apostle Paul as well, to understand what he means when he says he is to examine himself. In 2 Corinthians 13.5, it says this, test yourself, that's the same word as examine in the Greek, test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? So he's, he's telling us in 1 Corinthians 11, use communion to really check your heart. Are you really in or not? Because we can deceive ourselves. Think of the ways you've deceived yourself in other things right? 
I mean, I'm not going to go there. There's all sorts of ways we deceive ourselves. Frankly, I'm 30 years old and I weigh 135 pounds. Okay? Every time I look in the mirror, that's what I see. It's a mental thing, you know? I call it positive thinking, but... (laughs) We deceive ourselves in so many things. So why could we not deceive ourselves into thinking we're saved when we're not? Sinless life and then died on a cross. So he could be our propitiation with a just God. Wow. I love that story. (laughs) It's the only reason we're alive. It's the only reason we're left on this earth is to tell that story over and over and over again, people. So by believing God's word that he sent Jesus Christ, who is God, to die in our place, to pay for our sins. His death is then given to us as a free gift to pay for all of our sins, and we're saved from having to pay for those sins ourselves. It's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. Now, when anybody believes that, anybody, that relationship is reestablished. And they become part of the community of believers, or otherwise known as the family of God, the body of Jesus Christ. There's, there's many terms. But God truly becomes your father then, and you're in the community that Paul was talking about. Now, here's a question for you, okay? And this is a question for young people, as well as old people, as well as everybody in between. Do you have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ? Are you truly part of the community or not? And see, I can't answer that for you. Your moms and dads can't answer that for you. You've got to make that commitment in your own heart to God just between you and him and say, I want to be one of your children. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for me. Done. You say that sincerely in your heart, you're part of the community and you can participate in communion today. If you haven't, don't. (laughs) So that's basically the community part. That's the first element that I want to talk about. How about commemoration? You see, the who are the believers, the community of those who have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. But here's the why. Why do we do this? Now, we recently celebrated Memorial Day, right? And that was great. But what was it about? I mean, it was more than just picnics. It was more than barbecues, of which we all kind of participated, and we were really happy to be able to do it this year without the pandemic or whatever that was. And so we could meet together and commemorate, remember all those that gave their lives for our freedom. That's what Memorial Day is about. Now, this was the big question of the apostle, and he was asking it of the Corinthians. He says, when you get together, what are you doing it for? With your love feasts and the way you're handling yourselves or some of you are gorging yourselves on food at the love feast when there's others that are going hungry and some of you are actually getting drunk. What on earth are you doing this for when you get together? That was a big question. When they were supposed to be gathered together in community to commemorate Jesus Christ's death. Look at verses 24 and 25. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Circle remembrance. 
Verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it. Oh, again, in remembrance, circuit remembrance. Remember, remember, commemorate. Okay, it's for a commemoration. The commemoration is of what Jesus did when he died on the cross and provided the way back to a relationship with God through him. You know, when Jesus instituted or the first Lord's table, it was the night before he died. It says so in the text here. And he was actually celebrating the Passover dinner with his disciples. Passover dinner was what the Jews did. It was an, it was an ordinance that was established to remember their deliverance from 400 years of slavery under Egypt. You remember Moses came and helped them out and they got delivered from that? Well, they remembered the angel of death passing over their homes because there was blood on the lintel and the doorposts of their homes, just as God commanded them to do. All those who did that, the angel of death passed over, but all those that didn't have that, they died. Firstborn died. And so they would celebrate this every year on Passover to remember what God did on their behalf. Might I just say to you that Jesus took that meal and transformed it into remembrance of an even greater deliverance? One that the Passover is a mere picture of what he did. See, when we eat the bread and drink of the cup, we're remembering that Jesus sacrificed his body and shed his blood to win our freedom from the bondage and punishment of sin. It's not about a lamb, It's about a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. And the early church developed a very special meal, that love feast that I talked about, where they, and when they finished, they'd celebrate the Lord's Supper. And these love feasts were marked by fellowship and affection and caring for one another. And all of that was made possible through the death of Jesus on the cross. And so it was a commemoration of what he had done for them as they were together in community. Thirdly, In communion, there's also communication. There's not just the community of believers together and and the the, uh, commemoration of remembering what Jesus did. There is the what. What is this all about? Well, look at verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. There's something being communicated when we gather together as fellow believers and participate in the Lord's Supper. We're communicating something. The word that Paul used was proclaim. Other versions say you do show or you announce, which is an attempt to put an English meaning to the Greek word katangaleo, katangaleo. The word used there is a beautiful word. You see it in Acts 4, 2, where the Jewish leaders laid hands on Peter and John because they were teaching the people in katagaleoin, Jesus' resurrection. They were proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. They're saying, posh on that. We're going to put you in jail. Acts 17, 3, where Paul and Silas were in Thessalonica, giving evidence that Jesus Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this is Jesus of whom I am katagaleoing to you 
Because he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. Or again in 1 Corinthians 2.1 where Paul claimed, I came to you not with excellence of speech or of wisdom, kata galeoin, to you the testimony of God, declaring but my favorite form of this word is found in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, which is the basis for our vision statement for the church, Beacon of Hope. We exist to proclaim the excellencies, to proclaim the excellencies of Jesus Christ in word and deed by the power of the Holy Spirit and for the glory of God the Father. It's on the back of your bulletin. That's our vision statement. That's our mission. It's what we do. And that word there is exangaleo. We're proclaiming the word, the excellencies of Christ. So when we participate in the Lord's Supper, we're witnessing, preaching, teaching, proclaiming, shouting out. In a word, we're communicating the Lord's death. And that's what we want to do. And it's important that we know that we're doing so And therefore, it's important that we do so worthily. Now, here we go to this. And I want to just say a couple words here. Oh, we have time yet. There's a warning in verse 28 and 29. It's a very sober warning. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat the bread and drink the cup. For he is to eat and drink. Eat and drink judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. One pastor explained what taking the bread and cup unworthily looks like. Quote, if you know not only that you are sinning, but that you are planning to sin, if you know, for example, that you're doing something illegal or immoral and you're not going to change, then don't participate in communion. I like that because, you know, this eating unworthily just kind of goes whoosh right over our heads. Okay, let me give you one thing that you could be doing that would disbar you from taking the Lord's Supper. You have been forgiven of all of your sins, and yet you are holding a grudge against someone and not forgiving them. That would be taking the body and the blood or the cup and the bread unworthily. Something as simple as unforgiveness or bitterness. There's other things. Maybe you've gotten into the habit of pilfering things from work. Small things started out, but now they're getting a little bit bigger. But hey, it's a big company. They got insurance, right? We we use all sorts of excuses to cover our sin of stealing. I'm just telling you, don't let Bible words completely negate Your sin. When's the last time you really just sat down and confessed your sin that you've sinned? Well, today's a good day to examine yourself so that you don't experience what's going on here. It says, for this reason, many of you are weak, sick, and some of you sleep. Whoa. Now that's very serious because weak means you're destitute of power, feeble. Now you can take it spiritually, but also physically. And I think it's physical because the next word is weak, which means physically infirm. You're not healthy. And the furthest extreme, if you continue to live in unrepentance, 
okay, live in your sin, you can't, you can't wolf God. He will come. He will call you out if you're a true believer. Why? To protect his glory. You profess to be a believer, and yet your life is evidencing something that's contrary to the truth of God's word. You've been talked to about it. You refuse to deal with it. You continue to take the Lord's table. And he says, some of you sleep. That means you're dead. Some of them had actually died. Now, I don't know anybody that's died for taking communion wrongly because I'm not God. But I have some I wonder about, and you probably do too. That dead is very, very euphemistic. It's very, very clear, though. Jesus said to his disciples when he went to Lazarus, he said, let's go see our friend Lazarus. He is asleep. He's dead. He's dead. Okay? And Stephen says that after he was stoned, he fell asleep. It's a euphemism for death. And so I don't want anybody here to ever take communion in an unworthy way. Rather, take it in a proper way. Just examine yourself and and agree that you're sinning. That's what confession is, agreeing with God. And then turn from it by his power. Fourthly, celebration. If the who are the community of believers and the why is to commemorate and the what is being that we communicate the Lord's death, then here's the how. 11.26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. We're not celebrating death. We're celebrating eternal life. We're remembering death, but looking forward to eternal life for when he comes back. This is one reason why uh, it's not so much happening anymore, but I think maybe there was something to do with when the men were passing out the cup and the, and the bread. It was like, I felt like I was in a monastery and everybody was like this. I mean, they even passed it out slow. I used to thrill to tell them a church of 4,000 could get it done in like 10 minutes flat. Now, granted, they had a lot of ushers, but it's like everything went boom. It, it's like if Curtis was back there and he just like dimmed all the lights and, you know, everything's somber. I've always been one that just like wants to shout, Hallelujah! He's coming back. And we're remembering that when we remember his death, burial, and resurrection, right? He says, I will come again and receive you to myself. He went away saying that. And when Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper with his disciples, he alluded to the fabulous truth saying, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you, and you're to do it in remembrance of me until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper anew with him. And that's the reason for celebration. It's because it's coming. It's not here. But we can celebrate it right now because we believe it by faith. So you know, sometimes we can go all somber, but he's coming back. Lighten up. Okay, sins are all forgiven. Past, present, future. Lighten up. Walk in the joy of the Lord. The joy of the Lord is our salvation. It's our strength. And some of us aren't very joyful. I would portend to you, possibly, that it could be because you're in sin. Because the fruit of the Spirit is joy. 
And if you're quenching the Spirit of God by sin, maybe holding that grudge, maybe stealing things from work, you name it, whatever, okay, then you're not going to have the joy of the Spirit. So hopefully when we come to the Lord's Supper in the future, we will remember these four elements as we partake of the two elements today. We'll remember when we're coming, we're coming in community with fellow believers to commemorate and remember and to communicate to everybody that we are proclaiming what Jesus Christ did. And then don't forget the celebration that he's going to come again. And if you read in, in Revelation, you'll read that we will experience the Lord's Supper at the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. At the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. Somebody gave us a, a poster, I can't remember, this was like many years ago for our wedding, and it was like this, this big long table just went to where you couldn't see it off the horizon. And it was all set and everything. And it said, the Lamb's Supper. And I just remember that picture. It was a beautiful thought. We're all going to be together celebrating the Lamb's Supper together with Jesus Christ in his kingdom, just like he said. So with these things in mind, let's go to the table and enjoy the Lord's Supper.